Hi, it's me, Stephanie. Welcome to Investivision, a podcast meant to complement my work in progress blog at www.invest-a-vision.com. What is Investivision or IAV? IAV is a project long in the making and is meant to be a platform to be used as a discussion forum when defining visions and or goals and what it takes to achieve them, the investment part. The word vision encompasses so many things, not only goals, but imageries, curiosities, and futurisms. Invest conjures up mostly things associated with finance, but we invest time, energy, creativity, our imaginations, as well as ours and others' money. And so investing can easily fit in the world of vision. Investing time, energy, imagination, creativity, and of course money requires the investor to expect optimal returns. And the financial investor would, of course, prefer maximum returns. Let's explore together how we can optimize our returns in all our walks of life through discussion, exchange, and action. Let's get going. Welcome to episode number five, The Hustle and the Positive Spin. Here's one man's investivision. The Hustle. A robber pulled a gun on the bank clerk and manager saying, give me all the money. I needed to set myself up in a trade or profession. You know, initial investment is needed to cover the overheads until my cash flow is established. The spin, the bank manager said to the clerk, you'd better do what he says. I think he means business. A few weeks ago, I gave a presentation called The Hustle and the Positive Spin. I would like to present it to you here. It's all about creating a vision or goal or purpose or an event, which I would call the hustle, and making it happen through storytelling, the spin. And because it should result in a positive outcome, such as a contract, a sale, a trade, a friendship, a partner, it is naturally a positive spin. Everyone has their story, their spin, and when it is a good one and probably properly told, it can be contagious, maybe even go viral. You will see in my presentation by sharing and or selling events and experiences, the buyer could turn it into his his or her own positive spin. This hustle and positive spin is all about my unique career. Let's hear how it worked for me. Enjoy. The hustle and positive spin an exercise, a workout program? Am I going to entertain you with 18, 20, 22 minutes of exercise? No, it's not going to be a workout. It's going to be making it all work out. And by making it all work out, you stumble into success. I was very challenged by this speech because I didn't know what to talk about. And they recommend that you concentrate on your expertise. And then I got even more perplexed, thinking, what is my expertise? What can I talk about for so long? And what can I share with you that would be interesting and entertaining? And I questioned my family and my friends. And I said, what, 
what do you think is my expertise? And they all just laughed out loud and they go, Stephanie, you worked for so long. You were great at your career. How can you not have an expertise? But I still couldn't define it until I came upon the idea of the hustle and the positive spin. And the hustle is, if you don't know the word, they're both quite, uh, they're um, American slang. And hustling is being in a hurry. You want to get to someplace fast. You want to reach your goal. You want to reach a destination. And when you're doing it in a business sense, you don't let anything stand in your way. And sometimes it can take a kind of negative curve because you hustle over obstacles and other people to get there. And some people work so hard at their hustle that they burn out. And then there's even a more negative connotation with the hustler. The hustler is somebody that might want to swindle you or trick you into taking something at at your cost and their benefit. I will not talk about those hustlers. Positive spin? Well, spinning, we all know what spinning is. That's that's exercise, right? But in, in the context of where I want to take you, it's all about what a spin doctor does. A spin doctor can look at a person or a company or a situation and say, hmm, this is awkward. This is not so good. What, how can I spin the story to make it attractive and favorable and positive? And that's something that a lot of people counted on me to do. They would come to me with uh, a negative situation and say, Stephanie, give me a spin on this story. And this all started when I was in college. In college, I studied economics and I had a part-time job as a waitress. And I was a waitress at a very upmarket steakhouse. And as you all probably know, that being in a waitress or a waiter at a nice restaurant, you, you can rely on getting very nice tips. And little did I know by taking on this job that I would be preparing for my future career. But it was fun. It was a a neat place to work. And it was the beginning of the 70s. We had very short skirts, but it was a uniform. We had a a white skirt with a red jacket and we looked very professional. But because I was young, I had long legs, it worked wonders. And the main objective for this job was to make the dining experience notable. You wanted these people to come back again and you wanted to make it so notable that they would leave you a nice tip. And my uh, busboys and the cook, they all worked in my favor because I would share them with them the tips. And this was a kind of hustle. And it prepared me, it allowed me to earn enough money to save because my ultimate goal was to get to travel internationally and to work internationally. And so when I finished college, I would try to interview for an international finance job. I had majored in economics and they said, no, you can't do anything international. You just have a bachelor's degree and you don't have any experience. This is a very top, top area to work in. And I go, oh, okay. Then I went to get a master's, a master's in business administration and specialized in finance. And so I was destined for financial services career. 
my thesis for my master's was dedicated to managing a portfolio of foreign currencies. And foreign currencies are a very risky type of investment. And so my call to action was invest in foreign securities that are denominated with foreign, by foreign currencies, and then you would reduce the risk. And that meant I was in Chicago at the time, I'd have to move to Wall Street. Wall Street where, was where the action was. That was the hustle. So I wrote a number of fund managers and said, you know, I'd like to invest, work for you and invest in foreign securities. And they all were fascinated because this was very early on in the, in the, in the stage of foreign investing. And they go, we got to meet this girl. And so I got a lot of interviews, but I did not get any job offers. And this was, of course, very disappointing. But at the end, it wasn't. I had to get experience. I had to learn. So I went to a consultant who specialized in international investing. And this consultant was a super salesman. He was a true hustler. He knew all the tricks and I was gonna learn all the tricks of the trade and he could spin any story. And he was servicing these very people I was interviewing with and said, uh, you know, take my product, you will do better. And they would subscribe. And so I got, I got exposure to the best. And I was also able to learn who was out there, who were the main players. And I got to then go and meet them. And I ended up working for a salesman who was in a brokerage activity that belonged to a consortium of European banks, two German ones. And he hired me to do marketing and acquisition to get new clients to, to travel with him abroad, with him. His product or the product that we were selling was taking investors to capital markets around the world, to the Far East, to Europe, meeting companies, meeting politicians, eating at the finest restaurants, getting some cultural experience, and flying first class and staying in the best hotels. Oh, exotic, wonderful but I was too junior. I only had to acquire, I had to get the clients to come on board and then pay. But that inspired me to do a greater hustle so that I could go on those trips. And then it would be my chance to get paid to travel. And it worked. I, I got, I hustled, I was determined to get there and I got to go to Japan, to Korea, to Malaysia, to Hong Kong, Taipei. I went to all these places and then to Europe. And the first trip, uh, the most memorable trip was in 1983. And I went to, I, I organized a, a conference in Helsinki and then going to Germany and France. And the weekend before the conference, we always went to someplace where we could acclimate to the time change. And I picked Leningrad. Leningrad. Now that's a hustle. That's spinning a story. There's no capital markets in Leningrad. Why would investors want to go there? Well, why not? Here's a chance. And so they signed up and we went to Leningrad and we got to the customs 
there and they pulled me aside and they said, what are you doing with all this foreign currency? I had French francs, I had German marks, I had French Finnish marks, I had US dollars, of course, and the, and they thought I was gonna try to sell them on the black market. And I go, oh, no, no, I need these currencies for the rest of my travels. But they were suspicious and they took my luggage and they took me into a room and they looked at all my luggage. They thought I was a, a smuggler or you know, I was gonna do some illegal things. And it took a while, so eventually I got through and all the clients were standing there going, what took you so long? What happened in there? And I told them the story. I spun the story. And I said, yeah, they have black markets here. And they thought I was going to be dealing and wheeling on those black markets. But no, that's not, that's not what I do. So we went in. It's February 1983. So very cold. It's the Cold War. And we went down this, these desolate streets. There were no cars, no people. It was cold. And it was so empty and poor. And we went to the famous museums. We went to some palaces. We had some nice experiences. But one of the guys came out and said, how can a superpower be so poor? What are they doing with their resources? It must be going into the military. So this guy learned something firsthand, got some suspicion about what was happening in the Soviet Union and took that back with him. And he could spin his story to his family, to his clients, to his colleagues and say, we've got to watch out. This is a dangerous enemy. And so a few, a few months later, I organized another conference. And this one was very glamorous and in a very Nice, a very nice climate um, in Cannes. And this conference was designed around the Cannes Film Festival. And what was, it was not political or economic, it was much more about industry and the convergence of technology and media. 1983, way before the internet, way before the word convergence was used in this respect. And yet it was, an idea, and it was a, a way to get the con. So I recruited my my clients and said, let's come over. We can experience the Mediterranean. We can experience the con film festival, but also learn from top companies, mostly European, some American, about how they view this convergence of the working together, the broadcasting, computer, telecommunications, advertising. What else? Um, film content and uh, com yeah, computers. But anyway, the hardware and the software and the content. And this was fantastic because it was so early. And then they got to go to the Cannes Film Festival. We had tickets or we were invited to the opening film, red carpet, black tie. We were dressed to the nines and we were with the stars. Now, who's not going to remember that? Who's not gonna take home a story that they can spin, not only about investment ideas and opportunities, but I was at Cannes. I went to the film festival. I was with those stars. And thanks, Stephanie. So people started to get the idea, this hustler and this storyteller was going places and we might wanna follow her. 
And it ended up that my husband, I met him in New York. We married, he's German, he's from Berlin. And we moved to Frankfurt in 1985. And that ended my global approach to the world. And I became a German specialist, a German equities specialist. And I serviced Americans and they had a big time difference. So in the morning I had nothing to do. So I went to my bosses and said, can I call on Scottish institutions in the UK? They speak English, they invest in German securities. And he goes, ha, you can try, but we've never done business with them. And I had the good fortune of having a good friend there who could open doors for me. But also it just so happened that the Hearts of Midlothian, which is the Edinburgh football team, was gonna play Bayern München in Munich. And I called up the guys in, in Edinburgh and said, how would you like to go to that match? How would you like to see your team play Bayern Munich? And they said, yeah, that would be good. I go, I can get tickets. And then we will organize company visits around the match and you can make it a business trip and we can have fun and you can learn about German investment opportunities. And sure enough, these guys fell in love with me and they remained dedicated to my services because I came up with these fun ideas. Now, is that a hustle or is that a positive spin? Because they could go back and tell their friends, like family and their clients about the German companies and their friends and families about the match. But, you know, it was something for everybody. And then in 1989, my husband got a job offer in Berlin. And I told my bosses I'd like to move to Berlin. It was always my favorite city and what a chance. And I'd like to stay with my husband, of course. And they looked at me and they go, are you crazy? Berlin, that island in the sea of communism? What are you going to do there? Who are you going to talk to there? This is no such a dumb idea, Stephanie. You don't want to go to Berlin. And I go, what? Yes, I do. And if you can imagine that my clients don't really care where I sit as long as I can deliver the same information and the same service. In fact, they might even find it interesting to have somebody in Berlin. Well, they had no choice. They had to let me go. And so I went to Berlin. We moved in August and I started in September. And if you recall, I don't, if your history, in 1989, the Iron Curtain fell in Hungary and people were going over to Austria. They weren't staying in Austria, but they were traveling and seeing the free world. And then it happened in Czechoslovakia. And so it was only a matter of time before it happened in Germany. But no, I started on September 1st and I came in and I was excited. They were excited that they got a new colleague. And I said, I'm here to see the wall come down. And they go, not in our lifetime. They laughed and not in our lifetime. We will not have that wall, see that wall go down. And they sort of thought I was blonde and making things up. But two months later, it, the wall came down. And again, we had a story to spin. Because 
I could go to my clients and say, the Germans, they could not imagine this happening. And look, it's happening. And the next thing would be the German elections in 1990, uh, October 1990, they would be pan-German. And again, the Germans, no way. It's way too fast. We cannot unite so quickly. And yet there was so much evidence that it was probably necessary. And so I organized in the early part of 1990, another conference, and I got the bank to invite all these big executives from the German companies to talk about their strategies and how they can see the, the developments in the East. And with this conference, I took a few people down to a, a, a studio that belonged to CNN in East Berlin, and it was a former Stasi spy station. And it wasn't very far from the Axel Springer, which was on the other side of the wall. And the executive there was from Axel Springer and switched to what is now NTV. And he was very excited about this wall of Sony equipment, brand new practically. And, the, and he said, but the, it was the Stasi guys that acquired it. And I go, well, that's interesting. And then, and it's rather scary too, that they were, they had all this high technology. And then when I, we took the group down to where the Trabant, the famous little East German car was built. And in an isolated corner, there was a brand new plastic wrapped KUKA robot. And the KUKA robots are those big orange guys that you see on uh, car assembly plants. And I go, well, this is interesting. And uh, why is it in the corner wrapped up? Why aren't you using this? And of course it was too advanced technology wise for them to use it. But he just said, oh, this was a gift last year, 1989 from Volkswagen. And I thought, oh, why is Volkswagen giving them a KUKA robot? And it was a gesture sort of indicating that they were anticipating change. So two incidences, which we could spin into stories. I could spin it into for other clients and my clients could spin it to their clients and say, look at this special knowledge I have about what's happening in, in Germany. And it so happened that with the success, I was acquired by another bank and set up their sales program. And we concentrated on the emerging Eastern European markets. So we went to Budapest and Prague and Warsaw, Gdansk, Kaliningrad, and also Moscow. But by then it was an open market and they were all capturing equities and having stock exchanges and stuff. And that was great, but at the same time, foreigners were seeing that this development and this opportunity, and the Germans were always so skeptical that the competition got bigger and bigger. So it was, it was getting harder. So I had one last change, one last hustle, and that was in 2002, a, a startup bank in Frankfurt asked me to join them to get them going. And I said, well, I'll, join you, but I want to stay in Berlin. And they go, hmm, they didn't really like the idea, but I decided I would stay in Berlin. And they arranged that I would work from home. I had a hybrid situation where I would commute to Frankfurt two days a week. And it was, uh, and it worked, it worked 14 years. 
but this the spin on this new job was to my clients who were not interested in really getting new broker services, but they, I just said, you know, you want us to be successful. You want me to be successful, but you want the bank to be successful because then you will be successful. And that to me is a perfect spin. And that was my, that was my career. So in 2016, I retired. It, the, the whole rest of the world caught up with me. There was a lot of hustle out there. There's a lot of spin going on. And it was a lot, very technical. And the, the information was free. They didn't need to pay for my type of services. I was obsolete. And this was a huge disappointment. And that was why it was very hard to come up with an expertise. Because what is what good is this experience? But it is good. It's, it will be applicable to everything in the future. So it's time to watch the space. I am not too old to stop. So I'm going to work on projects and I have a blog. I have a podcast. I'm trying to publish a book and therefore you can watch this space because I'm going to be hustling in a new area and I'm going to spin more stories and they're going to be international. They're going to use my voice and they're going to be a series of stories to tell future friends and family. So watch the space. Stay tuned for our next interview with another Mercury Toastmaster colleague, Pooja Ghosh. Pooja comes originally from India, and after living in 12 cities in 30 years, she has also chosen to settle in Berlin, Germany. She is an architect and designer and is transitioning into writing, marketing copy, along with working on an illustrated book. It's all about storytelling. Pooja will describe her vision and goals and how she is investing to reach her fullest potential, her own InvestaVision. Please stay tuned and visit www.invest-a-vision.com and click on the podcast link to express your feedback and ideas. I look forward to your participation next time. And until then, auf Wiedersehen. Goodbye.